What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Financial Residency Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and we've got a fun show today with my dear friend, Nick True from Mapped Out Money. And we're going to be talking all about deferred gratification and how that plays into your money mindset, ultimately leads to potentially a much larger nest egg when you go to retire. This is going to be super fun. I love talking with Nick. Nick works with all of our clients at Physician Wall Services all around their cash flow and planning. He is a wind-up expert, but he's also a really cool person to chat with when it comes to a lot of things around your money and the mindset around money. But before we get in the show, let's hear from today's sponsor, which is Deputy. And at your practice, what happens when your staff calls out sick? How much time does it take to find replacements on someone that can fill in? If you need to cancel appointments because you're short-staffed, what does that actually end up costing your practice? And Deputy is here to help. They're a simple app that has helped more than 250,000 workplaces tackle this problem. Deputy makes it easy to schedule staff in line with patient demand, communicate schedules with your team, and instantly find replacements when someone calls out sick. So to learn more, try Deputy out for free by going to drpodcastnetwork.com slash deputy. Like we always talk about on the show, please do not take any advice from me because I don't know you or anything about you. This is free, cheesy, probably entertainment, but hopefully it's educational for you guys to listen and learn all about personal finance and really hope you get empowered and want to learn more. Hopefully go back in the archives and listen to more episodes that we've done around personal finance and helping physicians out and understanding their personal finances. So let's jump in and let's hang out with Nick True from Mapped Out Money. Nick, what's up, man? Thank you so much for being back on the show. As always, it is a pleasure just to hang out with you. Of course. I'm always happy to come on the show. It's uh, one of my favorite things to do, man. I love hanging out and chatting money. I think you need a little more favorite things to do if this is one of your favorites, but I'm happy <laughs> to have you here either way. Whether we're recording or not, it's always fun hanging out. Totally. We exchanged some emails and I was like, Nick, we got to have you back on. I reference your show all the time. You had this super cool pitch about talking on not just telling people to increase their patients, but how to actually increase your patients and kind of how that relates to not only happiness and better relationships, but ultimately like success around money. And I was kind of doing some thought process of like, one, that sounds amazing. I can't wait to dig into it. But then I'm like, God, we are really like an instant gratification society. How the heck is he going to teach us about increasing our patience? And I was like, God, I need to develop more patience because I'm trying to figure this all out really, really fast. So I'm just really excited to kind of jump in here and do this. Like it, in my opinion, patience is going to be kind of difficult to build. I think we can be diligent about it, but how do we do this? How are we going to build some patience? Okay, so you're totally right. Like it, it is hard. Uh, so I'm glad you like mentioned that from the outset. Uh, oh yeah, becomes, really, really hard. No, yeah, it's tough, and and it's something that we all know that we should do, right? But it doesn't make it easy because we all know intuitively that oh, I should probably be a, a more patient person, especially to get where I want to go. We're even told that you know by people, and the problem is nobody really fleshes out. Okay, well, what can we practically do to make that happen? So one of the kind of the way I want to think about this, we can frame it up in the context of kind of this metaphor of, of hiking up a mountain, right? So if you've, if you've got the top of this mountain is going to be, let's just call it general success in whatever area that you're focused on, whether it's 
uh, getting through medical school or whether it's something around your finances, like uh, being able to buy the dream house that you want, get out of debt, pay off your loans, reach financial independence, whatever, whatever success looks like. It's the top of the mountain. And you know intuitively that you have to be patient. It's going to be a long, hard journey. You know that you need patience to actually make it up this hike. But how do you do that? How, how do you make it up a really hard hike? The way I think about it is just like if you were actually going to climb a mountain, you would have tools with you. In order to build your patience, there's a couple of tools. And so let's use this metaphor of a couple of trekking poles. You're hiking up this mountain. You've got you know poles in each hand. And to build your patience muscle, the first one is going to be this, this trekking pole of clarity. With this idea of once you figure out exactly what your life looks like, when you reach the success point, once you get a really clear picture in your head, a really clear direction of where you're going and what life looks like and what you want it to be like, that, that you know, some people call it your why behind doing what you're doing, it becomes a lot easier. Just like adding a trekking pole to your walk becomes a lot easier and you get much more focused on what it is that's going to happen. And maybe for you, reaching this point allows you to not have to work so many hours because you have, you know, more money, more income, more stability, and the loans are paid off or something like that, right? You really flesh this out. Now, the mm-hmm. second trekking pole is this idea of contentment and this clear picture of what is going on in your life right now, the journey that you're currently on, where you're at in it. It's just part of the process and you're okay with that and you are actually comfortable in that. And what's really fun is that when you can become more content with where you're at, you recognize that and you actually start to fall in love with the process. One of the things that I was thinking about with this in particular was this idea of the hero's journey, right? This idea of of all your favorite movies that you've ever watched. For instance, you're a massive Star Wars fan, right? Of course. If we were just having to, all of a sudden, the Jedis were like, you know what? These Empire guys, they're no good. We just need to, uh, we just need to take them out. And then they just snapped their fingers. And like all of a sudden it was all taken care of and life was good and everything was happy. And there was, you know, basically a 30 second movie about it. Then it wouldn't be the franchise that it is today. It wouldn't be what it is in the same way. Like with Lord of the Rings, if they decided, Hey, we need to, you know, get this ring destroyed. And they were able to just like snap their fingers and immediately get what they want. And there was no fight. There was no struggle. There was no death. There was no loss. There was no, any battle to, you know, hike up this mountain and fight the wars that they needed to fight in order to struggle to accomplish this goal, it's a story that's not even worth telling. It's not interesting. And our brains are like literally hardwired to love this hero's journey and love the struggle that's in the middle of that journey. If you think about it, every single Hollywood movie has this basic plot line, right? You have a person who wants something and the person can't get that thing. The thing that's standing in their way is some sort of obstacle, right? And so now they need to spend the vast majority of the movie fighting to overcome whatever this obstacle is. And as they do that, they experience some sort of profound change. And then finally, they end up with the thing that they wanted in the beginning. And our brains are hardwired to want that story. And when it comes to our own life, if we don't have to contend with the obstacle in the middle between what we want and actually getting it, we're not going to have any sense of meeting. Like, Like the obstacle that we contend with in the middle is what gives us that sense of meaning in the journey. And when you recognize that, you become way more content with where you're at. And as you become more content, 
you are way less impatient to get there because you just recognize, hey, this is part of the process. This is part of the journey. And you know what? I'm actually going to enjoy this. Yeah. Immediately, I think of Gary Vee and how he's like, I love the dirt and I strive for the clouds, right? And it's talking about like, it's hard. It's a process and just enjoy that process. I actually really, really like that, Nick, on how you're kind of talking about enjoying that in that journey. We've talked a lot about like finding your why and in that, but like, do you have any other tips on for other people to really talk about like, how do they gain clarity? That seems really kind of difficult to do. I mean, both steps really are, are difficult. That's why patience to- is difficult. Totally. Yeah. If I just ended like what I said right there, to me, it kind of still feels like not that helpful because now instead of saying, Hey, go get more patient. I'm just saying, Hey, go get more clarity and contentment. Um, so it's still not all that helpful. And we're done. <laughs> yeah, we're done. All right. Let's wash our hands. See ya. Yeah. So I think we can talk through some exercises to actually, you know, make these things happen. And and one point I'll say on that, the reason I like the trekking poles analogy is because as you get more clarity, you actually recognize the process even better along the way, which makes you more content with where you're at. So the more clarity you get, the easier it is to become content. And as you become content with where you're at, the more you're okay with being in that place, which means you're not in a rush, which means you have more time to think about the journey and get more clarity. So they kind of work hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So with the clarity piece, like to answer your question, my two favorite exercises for this, and you tell me which one you want to jump into or both. My two favorite ones, one is like the positive way, right? Which is let's sit down and like literally start writing out what we want our life to be like in one, three, five, or 10 years. You know, you pick the timeline, whatever feels comfortable and start writing out what does your day look like once you have achieved complete debt freedom? What does, you know, your weekend look like? Uh, What does your love life look like? What does time with family look like? How many hours a week are you working? Where are you living? What kind of car are you driving? Uh, I'm like literally bullet point, write all this stuff out. Now, some people have a hard time with that and they struggle to project that far in the future. It's not in their natural kind of state to think that way. And I think an easy way to get started, if that's not you, is to kind of invert this process. And James Clear talks uh, about this and he calls it like the process of inversion, which is where you basically do the opposite and say, okay, well, let me look at some people in my life that are maybe 10, 15, 20 years ahead of me. Maybe they're family members, maybe they're uh, people that you know through work. You look at their life and where they're at and you actually don't want to end up there. It's a bad place. You look at them and go like, I really don't want my life to turn out like that. Now you ask the question of, okay, well, what did they do that got them there? What made them end up in that place that you don't want to end up? And then ask, okay, well, how can I avoid that? So you almost start with, what do I don't want to happen in the next five to 10 years? Where do I not want to be? And then that helps you further define where you do want to be. Yeah, I I almost feel like, and this is like going to bash some of these other physicians out there, but like most physicians make really horrible money decisions. And then you'll see the older ones that have to work because they don't have any savings or very little because they've been taking the elaborate vacations and drive the, let's pick on Tesla again, as my wife tells <laughs> me, just because I want one, which is totally true. If someone dropped one in my lap, I'd totally be driving it, but I just can't justify, justify it. it. No, especially because I have like a 17 foot commute. <laughs> like, <laughs> it'd be really hard for me to justify that. You can but, get there really fast though. Oh yeah. I Actually, it would take me longer to go get in the car and then just to get out of the car than it would just be walk. <laughs> whatever. 
But you look at them and go like, whoa, I don't want to be working at 65, 70, like wheeling me around doing rounds. I think that might actually be easier to see you know, what they've essentially done. But on the flip side, I like the glass half full approach. That's just how I am. And, and we actually do it with clients in the beginning. One of the first things I ask are, you know, in your words, in the next three years, what do you see as some of your opportunities? What are some of the cool things coming? And, you know, as they start to kind of think through it and go, well, you know, my practice is doing this and, you know, we want to have another kid and we want to do these things and you you can start kind of building it out. And then, you know, I do ask also, like, what are some of the challenges in in your opinion in, in, that are coming through? But I, I really like that first one. How do you guys approach that? Have you gone through like at a one, three, five, 10 year stage or did you just pick three years and go with it? Or how did you walk, kind of work walk through this uh, example? Yeah. So my wife and I kind of have two different ways that we go about this. And what I encourage people to do is to try as best you can, especially if you're married, to foster a habit of dreaming together on a regular basis in a natural way. And so my wife and I, you know, we, we actually live in a camper together full time and travel. So uh, we have a lot of time together, which allows us to just dream and ask big questions. So we have a regular habit of saying, okay, if you could live anywhere and we could pick up our family and move them with us, where would you move? If money wasn't an issue and if the family could go, if our parents could go, where would you go? What kind of house do you think you want in the future? How do we think we want to handle kids? What would you do in this situation? I saw a parent do this with their kid. How, how would you handle that? Do you think that we'll ever go to this country? And just asking those kinds of questions about the future and just literally talking, nothing hidden, no hidden agendas, just talking for fun. And that's something that my wife and I do without a plan, just regularly out of habit these days. It just comes up naturally in the conversations, especially as I'm, I'm a very inquisitive person. So I drive a lot of like these random future questions. So I think fostering a sense and a habit of dreaming so that you have some sort of vague notion. So I think fostering a sense of dreaming together or habit of dreaming together, and then picking some sort of regular interval where you actually do sit down and map out these one, three, five, 10 year things. Uh, Hannah and I do that every 12 weeks. So we have a, we kind of have a big quarterly meeting every 12 weeks and we try and get away for a day or two to where we do nothing but talk about the future and make plans on how we're going to get there and what we're going to focus on for the next 12 weeks in order to make that happen. And uh, during that time, we will revisit. We actually have a, a life planning document that we keep in Google Docs. And it has one year, three year, five year, and 10 years with bullet points underneath of all these different areas in our life. And uh, we revisit that document and uh, we'll update it during that time. That's super cool. So part of me visually is, because I know you're inquisitive, is you torturing Hannah as you're driving through some remote place. Totally out of the car and you're like, okay, honey, let's start with the grand inquisition of all these questions. Now I know that's not how it goes. And it's just kind of in my mind what I thought of, because I know both of you, but uh, I think it was really, really fun. But I actually really like that. And, and we've talked on the show about money dates and kind of talking a little bit about the why, but also more around like, what are we spending? What are, what are our big expenses coming up? And what did we do last month? And that kind of thing. I actually really like this. I don't actually know what to call it, but it's almost like a a behavioral money date kind of deal where you're talking about just your big goals and dreams and aspirations and, you know, to revisit that quarterly, like Taylor's either going to love you or hate you, Nick, because I'm <laughs> do this now. I'll send you my documents after the show and uh, right. you can, you know, use them for however you see fit. 
do it. And then when you come out here for FlynnCon, she's going to like slap you around a little bit or she'll give you a big hug. I don't know which one yet. And when she listens to this, she'll probably tell me quite loudly what which one it is. But, you know, we do this every year. And uh, what was it? January of 2018, we did a show um, about your ideal life. And I, I think I called it like what it's like to be married to a financial planner. That's where my wife and I did the three questions. Um, I'm a registered life planner and George Kinner's got these really cool three questions. If you guys haven't heard it, like this is right up that alley, but now I'm going to make her do stuff quarterly. I love the quarterly because I actually read a book called The 12 Week Year uh, by Brian Moran, and it kind of switched my thinking away from annual thinking to 12 week thinking because humans are pretty notoriously bad at estimating how much you can actually do over the course of a year. We tend to underestimate it and we can get a much clearer picture of what we can actually execute over a 12 week period of time. Uh, and there's a lot of other reasons he gives why, but that book basically convinced me to stop planning by the year and plan basically by 12 weeks and then big dreams. I got to add that to my reading list because I look at this and one of the things when it, when we're talking about goal planning and things that it just pops in my mind all the time is the resolution concept. Like, oh, it's a new year, resolutions and all this happy crap. And I call it crap because most people forget about it in three weeks. They don't even make it 12 weeks. And I'm I'm over here thinking like you should have several goals. And I, I know I've given the example of like, you know, I want to lose 50 pounds. Well, it's a huge goal in a year. But if I break it up into, you know, 25 pounds every six months and then, you know, eight pounds every three months and two pounds every month, that makes it a lot more manageable and easy to to kind of digest. And looking at it from a 12 week perspective or quarterly, I think is really fascinating. So I, I got to add that to my reading list. And I really do. I want to go back to the point about dreaming because I don't want it to be kind of understated. I think the thing that makes the quarterly planning work for me and Hannah is that in our small little tiny household, the concept of dreaming about what we want individually and together is a regular conversation with absolutely zero kind of burden around that conversation. It's never a, I'm asking an inquisitive question to try and then like bring the hammer down. It's literally, what do you want? What do you want life to look like? Dream big, dream anything. I mean, even here recently, I'll share this. We kind of have always thought that when we get done traveling, uh, we will settle down in Alabama or Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And these days we've been talking more and more about how like, okay, well, if we convinced our parents to move, which we think is possible, why not move to the beach? Like we love the beach. We've never imagined that that would be possible, but why, why isn't it possible? And so even over the past few weeks, just by dreaming and talking, we've kind of started to shift some of those long-term dreams because it's a regular conversation about what we both want. I like that. That's, yeah, I mean, goals change, right? And and I think of the goals that I've written, even the answers to those three questions years ago, I actually revisited, maybe it was maybe a few months ago, what I had written like four years ago. And it was like, who wrote that? That doesn't make sense. Why? <laughs> yep. Why is that even down here? And some of it was like, this is, I don't know. I, I think I've said this before on air. I'm not sure, but it was really hard for me to start the podcast. It was really, really hard. I'm not super extrovert. I'm very introverted, I think. And it was really scary to start the podcast. I didn't know if anyone would listen. I didn't really care if people were listening, but it was more of like, can I do this? And it was some like a lot of self self-doubt. And so in some of my goals, it was like, you know, have the courage to start the podcast. And then three months later, like actually start the podcast. Like I even knew in my own goals, I might not start it right away. And it still, I mean, it took me like 18 months or more to actually like 
push record. So it was tough, but you know, going back and it's, it's always fun kind of doing that. Do, do you think journaling helps in a sense? And some people are like, Oh God, he's talking about journaling. I'm, I'm out. But like, do you think journaling might help in this case to build patience? I think so. Uh, I totally do. And that actually gets me kind of into some of the contentment stuff. So I'm a big fan of journaling and I have a kind of a, a routine that I go through in my journal. And the first one is every day I just write down something that I'm grateful for. That is sometimes really big things, right? Like my wife or family. And sometimes it's really small things like coffee. To me, it's pretty amazing that coffee is a thing that exists in this world that we can enjoy, right? That's fun. And I'm just grateful for that. Part of my journaling process is that. And then part of my other journaling process, one of the things that I, I do, and I picked this up from uh, James Altucher in a podcast he talked about, which is I come up with 10 new ideas every time I journal every day. And it could be ideas about anything. I'll just come up with a topic and be like, 10 ideas about something I want to do when I'm 40, or 10 new ideas about um, a podcast I could launch, or 10 new ideas about something I could do at work. And I use that time as a way to also dream big regularly. 10 ideas around where we could possibly live one day. And for me, like that habit helps hone in kind of that direction, but also the building patience because of the contentment piece as well. The reason I was kind of getting journaling is I actually was told by a client that he journals regularly and it's on the stuff that they've been doing. So it's like a reflection. It, yeah, it's almost like a reflection piece. And when they were, we were talking about actually goals and, and a lot of goal planning. And he was like, well, what's fun is like today on this day, we were doing X, Y, Z. And he dropped in like a picture. And That's cool. it, you know, I thought it was really neat. And so he can go back on different days and different things. And it was like his way of cataloging his life, almost like a biography type thing. But it was him, the kids, his wife. And it was really, really neat. And I was like, God, I wonder, I wonder if I could do that. And of course I could if I made time, not if I made have that priority yep. time to do that. But then I was like, that could really increase patience across the board. And again, then better relationships, happiness, more success, kind of all those things kind of fall suit, uh, you know, f follow in line with that. Yeah, I think so on that note, what this is hitting on is really the main point of gaining perspective of like where you're at in life and how really awesome your life actually is. Because there's things that you want, I'm sure. And, and we can talk about that. But when you like kind of pick your head up out of the daily grind and look around at, man, I have this awesome wife. I live in this great place on the planet. I have these cool kids. I get to go out and kind of do cool things. And my life is actually pretty darn amazing. And then when you take and look at it in like a historical context, so one of the things that I like to do a lot is listen to a lot of podcasts that give me perspective on history. And, and two of my favorites are um, Hardcore History and then Jocko Podcast. Yeah, Hardcore but History is awesome. It's amazing. I don't know how and, he does like the six hour, if you guys don't, I haven't heard that one, that's, I mean, you're going to invest some serious time listening, but he gets super into It's so worth it. It's so cool. For me, it's like when I listen to that, one of the ones I recently listened to was called the Celtic Holocaust. And he goes deep into what Julius Caesar did and how he, you know, just literally like wiped out so many of these Celtic tribes and all of the terrible things like, th th you know, this podcast is not for the faint of heart, but I love listening to it because it makes me so amazingly grateful for the world that I currently live in. And, you know, 
especially these days on Twitter or wherever else where people are constantly yelling about how bad this world is, you know, when you pick your head up and look around and go like, actually, 2019 on this planet in America is pretty darn incredible. If you were a Celt in the Middle Ages, your life was pretty horrific. And so I feel like I've hit the lottery by being born in this day and age, in the internet age in America. When I think about it that way, then my problems just look so minuscule in comparison. And, and how can you not be content and grateful for where you're at at that point? Yeah, it's perspective. And I, and you know, we've got probably some residents that are listening now and be like, you guys, you're killing me. I work on paper 60 hours, off paper another 30 or 40 a week. I sleep every fourth night at the hospital. There's like a saying like IGB, it gets better. Uh, a lot of the physician spouses, it's like what they say is like, oh, we're in residency, IGB, like it's going to get better. Well, it will get better. But even then, try to look at it glass half full. Hopefully you're doing something you love. Yes, the hours stink and are tough and are grueling. And that's why the smartest of the smartest people on the planet are physicians because like only they could really go through all that. But, you know, it does get better. But it's it's enjoying that journey. So, you know, as you're training, you know, just having a different perspective and this flows through everything in life and hopefully, you know, flows down to money and, and kind of all those things related to that. Nick, I got actually a random question for you. So I was as you pitched me the idea of talking about increasing patience and I started reflecting on it every once in a while I read like some psychology blogs. I, I just find that stuff fascinating. It's so different than money and I don't need to read about money. I know lots and lots about it, but the human behavior and psychology around money, I find extremely fascinating. And I try to build that as much into my practice as I can. So I find myself deep diving in psychology stuff. And one of the things that they talked about is pain and how pain pushes us to find solutions and basically like we get comfortable and by getting comfortable, we get impatient sometimes. And so if we get uncomfortable or in some type of pain area, it forces us to find the solutions and, you know, maybe breaking habits or developing new routines. And I'm wondering like your thought on like how maybe pushing us into like the more uncomfortable realm could potentially cause us to be more patient. I don't know if I'm making that connection correctly, but like I just, I was reading that. I was like, huh, it could make sense. Getting uncomfortable would allow you to not, because you maybe aren't an expert in something or you're doing something for the first time, you will naturally just have more patience going through it the first time. Yeah. I think there's something to that. And kind of to a quick higher level point, I think the behavioral stuff and this pain point, the first thing that came to my mind was when we talk about paying off debt, for example, most humans are typically more motivated to avoid pain rather than to gain or increase something like happiness. And there's been studies that have shown that if I were to give you, Ryan, a $100 bill, you'd be happy. You'd have uh, some level of marginal excitement. And maybe, maybe like, let's rate that happiness on a scale of like seven out of 10 immediate happiness if I give you a $100 bill. Now, if instead of giving you a $100 bill, I take the $100 bill, from you, your level of sadness or upset or frustration or pain that you feel from losing $100 is more like a 9 out of 10. The intensity with which we feel that pain is much, much higher, even if the objective amount was the same. And so when you take that and apply it to paying off debt, for example, we are typically more motivated to pay off debt than we are to invest an extra dollar, uh, which is one of the reasons that 
a lot of personal finance people will tell you to do things like debt snowball versus debt avalanche, et cetera. Now, let's get this back to your question, which is knowing this, how can we use that to our advantage to build patience? Um, before the call, you were talking about delayed gratification and, and practicing a little bit of pain to like build your, it almost feels like building your tolerance and recognizing that, hey, it's not that big a deal and I can be patient through this, which is basically you were saying that you find something on Amazon that you want you and instead of buying it, even though you have Prime, you add it to your cart, you force yourself to wait a day. Mm-hmm. And oh, now Prime now in San Diego, my friend. So I oh, can yeah. wait two full hours. <laughs> That's Talk so wild. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it comes in really handy. Like I forgot to buy soda for my daughter's party that was like starting in a few hours, and but I couldn't leave. Like they were napping, and it was terrible, terrible timing. And of course, Amazon saved the day with Prime now. But yeah, talk about patience. I can wait a full two hours. <laughs> that's so crazy. Yeah. They thought, oh, Prime two-day shipping? Nah, that's that's not this quick enough. way too long. You yeah. two days, two hours. Oh, yeah. It's the convenience factor. Like you said in the beginning, you know, our society is so, uh, so focused on convenience. And right now, right now, right now. But I love this idea of putting something in your cart and then forcing yourself to wait even just one day. And it's mm-hmm. not that you never get it because that ruins the whole point. Like you need to be patient knowing that your reward does come. Like you do eventually get there. It just sometimes has to take longer than you want. So it's not saying add it to your cart and then don't buy it. It's add it to your cart, wait a day and practice taking in that pain and recognizing yeah, it's just not that big a deal. Well, you know, it's sometimes though, and I'm going to say like maybe a third the time actually, I don't actually need it. Yeah. Like it it sounds weird, but like I put it in the cart and I'm like, I really want to read this book. I really want to do X, Y, Z. And a lot of my stuff is increasing my knowledge and things like I like spending money on that stuff. So I'll be the one to buy courses and books and things because I'm just fascinated with that stuff. Half the time it's like, well, I already have like six books I need to read. So I don't need that book. So I'll just put it in the save it for later, but I won't actually buy it. Then I'll wait a day. And if I still need it, I'll do it. But and I'm not talking like that we need dog food. I'll add it to the cart and I'm like, huh, like dog's not eating. It's stuff for me, not the kids or dogs or whatever. I'd be interested to hear, do you try and do this with your kids in terms of like, not that you make them have pain, but you make them have like a little bit of emotional pain by having to wait. I think that's one of the things that's kind of difficult as our society gets wealthier and wealthier and our kids are growing up with Amazon Prime and things like that they're not forced to wait for anything ever. And it's almost like as a parent, you've got to almost make them if you want to build that patient muscle from an early age. Sometimes. I mean, I it, my kids are four and three, so it's they have no patience anyway. For anyway, yeah, for anything. Yeah, for anything. But monetarily, I'm trying uh, already at that young age to explain how savings and spending and giving work. And I, I think I've talked about it on the show, but if not, like essentially we've got a bank for my son and he's getting a, you know, a dollar here, five dollars here from gifts. Like one of our friends had basically given him five dollars for his birthday and it was in five one dollar bills. And he thought he was like the richest man ever, which That's was awesome. really cute to see. He went through and he saw his bank. And so I said, OK, Wyatt, we need to save some of this for later. We can spend some of this now. And then we need to give some away. And at first he was like, well, like he didn't get it. So I explained it again. And then he wanted to put 
I think it was $1 in the save or $2 in the save and then three or $4 in the give. And he didn't want to spend any. And I was like, Oh, I love you. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So cool. But then he tried to rob the, the, uh, give to put it back into the save. Cause then Mm. he realized like he didn't put enough in. So it was cute. It was really fun. But I, I tried to do it where we go somewhere and if he wants something like we were at Disney and I, you know, I was telling him like how much dollars in his bank would buy and he you know has been wanting to save for this huge train we're trying to teach him not only savings but but patience right and it's going to take time to do this and i tell him how long and oh that's so many days dad it's like yes it's so many days son but it's fun so i do what i can i'm i borderline probably torturing my kids no i think that's amazing i mean i don't have kids so i brought it up wanting you to tell me the way you were doing it because i think that's fascinating it's something i think about a lot but obviously i won't know until i have kids of my own i think that's awesome yeah we i mean we have a ton of fun and and one of the the cool things that i do and i just truly love it and this is again super nerdy i actually posted on andy hill's uh thing of like what do you what do you like to do uh with the kids if you have i think his his thing was being a parent of young kids what do you do as a hobby and i took a picture of our garden and I was like, this is what I do. And I really like that piece. And, but I do it with the kids and they've got their own section of the garden and like gardening is teaching them all sorts of cool things like patience because the things don't grow, right? <laughs> Your bell peppers don't grow really fast. Your cucumbers don't grow really fast, but you know, I, I did plant some sunflowers, like the giant ones, those things grow really fast. So I did planted some really slow ones and some really fast ones and and our garden's like a hodgepodge of stuff because I was trying to grow things at different speeds to get them excited. And so now our giant sunflowers are like eight feet tall and they got real excited, but now they see the other ones that have been growing a little bit and a little bit and they're getting really excited. So even, even those little, and I'm teaching them, you know, chores and stuff. So I tell them we can't go do things before we water the garden. And that. So there's little That's cool. things you can kind of mix in with little kids, but four and three are still, it's still tough. Sure. As you were talking, something came to my mind as maybe th- is the win here. Maybe a lot of the residency folks can relate to this, which is, you know, a lot of the times we know the right advice to give somebody else, even if we don't take it ourselves. So, you know, doctors and uh, they, they may have the right advice on getting healthy and they may not actually be all that healthy themselves because sometimes actually taking the right advice, even if you know it is tough. And so when I think about that, applying it to kids, like we just said, Maybe the way to help start to build your contentment, your clarity, and your patience is thinking about if you had young kids and you were tasked with teaching them how to be patient, what would you do? And then when you think that through, just turn that around and now apply that to yourself, which ultimately comes back to you're forcing, you know, you have the money to probably buy your kid the train set, but you're not going to. You want to teach him to wait. And you've kind of taken that and just applied that to Amazon for yourself as well. Yeah. Or start a garden because it takes a lot of patience. Totally. Especially when like something eats something and then you got to explain <laughs> robbed out of his cucumber. And and the weeds are growing so much faster than everything else. Yeah. Okay. Oh, no. He actually likes the weeds because he gets to pull them and then oh, okay. them. So he gets pretty pumped on weeds. He likes the destruction part. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, of course. He's a boy. Like his favorite sound is something breaking. So yep, that's uh, just how it works. But well, Nick, this has been awesome. I mean, of course, it's awesome. I can't wait to hang out more as as uh, the year goes on, see at FinCon, all the fun things. But for those that live in a, you know, under a rock and have no idea who you are, uh, tell them a little bit more about you, where they can find you, your amazing 
YouTube channel and new podcast, which I can't wait to share with everyone. Yeah. So like Ryan said, we're from Mapped Out Money. My wife and I run a YouTube channel there. If you just type in Nick True or Mapped Out Money into YouTube, you'll find us. Uh, And we're launching a podcast. Hopefully it will be coming out very soon after this episode airs. And it's just going to be under the name Mapped Out Money Podcast. And that'll be me and my wife kind of co-hosting that. We're really excited about it. So if that's interesting, we'd love for you to stop by and check it out. Oh, it's definitely going to be interesting. I think I'm subscribed to like five YouTube channels and I rotate like I, I'll drop one out and I'll add one in, but I watch your stuff. I love your stuff. I've shared it in the groups before in our community and uh, I'll continue to do that just because I really like the way you present information and it's not just the regurgitated like this is what a Roth IRA is. You're thinking of these things that are just fascinating and I, I learn a lot just listening to you and it puts things into perspective. So I appreciate you uh, you doing what you do and excited to hear the podcast. Well, thanks, man. That literally means the world to me to hear that. So hopefully people got something out of today and maybe we'll do it again in the future. All right, bud. Thanks for being on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I'll see you later, man. In our journal club, we're going to be discussing an article that was posted on the Physician Philosopher's site titled Four Reasons Doctors Don't Save Enough Money. And in it, TPP discusses the brilliance of physicians when it comes to their medical career, but then shares how unbrilliant they are with their finances. And in fact, he says doctors are just plain bad with money overall. Is he right? Sometimes. He quotes a recent Medscape Wealth survey stating that only 50% of the physicians have $1 million in net worth. And he goes on to state that despite the fact that 75% of the 20,000 physicians who completed the survey actually admitted to working with a financial planner. So he poses the question throughout this article, why then are doctors so bad when it comes to money? The reason he actually came up with is that physicians rationalize bad decisions. And that's a really interesting thought. And I quote, while it takes raw intelligence and strong reasoning skills to become a physician, these same attributes can hurt us when it comes to making rational decisions about how we spend our money. He'll be the first to admit that he's bad about rationalizing poor financial decisions as well. Secondly, Physicians outsource nearly everything from lawn care to their house cleaning to their finances. And while he believes that finding a good fee-only financial planner, he says that most other planners charge expensive and conflicted rates to give you ultimately bad advice. I honestly couldn't agree more. His solution is for doctors to learn 20% of what they need to know about personal finance to get them 80% of the results. And I really hope that's what all of you are doing while listening to the show. Third, doctors are really competitive. And he mentions gunners in medical school make it almost impossible to be less influenced by wanting to compete. Unfortunately, he also says that it makes it hard to get excited about doing the right thing when it comes to saving and investing. The last little part he said, and I think this is fascinating, was that doctors love the concept of the doctor's lounge, a place to brag and bask in the glory of frivolous spending. And that whole keeping up with the Dr. Joneses doesn't help you. It's actually there to demolish you. What I really like about this article is that TPP hones in on the bad spending from the physician perspective. I come from the planner perspective, just married to a physician, which is different. 
And where his rationalizations are actually quite true from where I stand, that's honestly why I'm pushing shows like the dreaded B word so often and talk about budgeting. Because if you have a budget and you have the right mindset, you can practically start setting your own tune with your finances and making you less likely to fall prey to the results of bad money decisions. And I also think that what helps you even more is finding a community where others are going to support you in doing that. And I think that's why you're here. And I'm really glad that you all are here. So thanks TPP for the amazing article. Happy to have highlighted it here as always. Great stuff. Special thank you to Nick True of Mapped Out Money for being on the show. It's always a pleasure hanging out with him. And I hope you guys enjoyed that along with our journal club. There's five takeaways I'd like you to walk away after listening to this show. We build patience by realizing that it's hard. Even though most of us know we should do it, we have to be more cognitive of our why. Once you figure out exactly what your life looks like, when you reach the success point, once you get a really clear picture in your head, a really clear direction of where you're going and what life looks like and what you want it to be like, that, that you know, some people call it your why behind doing what you're doing, it becomes a lot easier. Just like adding a trekking pole to your walk becomes a lot easier and you get much more focused on what it is that's going to happen. Number two, when thinking about our favorite hero movie plot, you watch the hero overcome a challenge to meet some goal. We're hardwired in the same way to achieve ours. And Nick explained this in a really cool way. Every single Hollywood movie has this basic plot line, right? You have a person who wants something and the person can't get that thing. The thing that's standing in their way is some sort of obstacle, right? And so now they need to spend the vast majority of the movie fighting to overcome whatever this obstacle is. And as they do that, they experience some sort of profound change And then finally, they end up with the thing that they wanted in the beginning. Third, the more clarity you get, the more content you are with where you are. They both work hand in hand. So what Nick recommends is spending more time to understand your goals. And if you have a hard time, he brings up the topic of inversion. James Clear talks uh, about this and he calls it like the process of inversion, which is where you basically do the opposite and say, okay, well, let me look at some people in my life that are maybe 10, 15, 20 years ahead of me. Maybe they're family members. Maybe they're uh, people that you know through work. You look at their life and where they're at, and you actually don't want to end up there. It's a bad place. You look at them and go like, I really don't want my life to turn out like that. Now you ask the question of, okay, well, what did they do that got them there? What made them end up in that place that you don't want to end up? And then ask, okay, well, how can I avoid that? So you almost start with, what do I don't want to happen in the next five to 10 years? Where do I not want to be? And then that helps you further define where you do want to be. Fourth, being on the same page with your spouse begins with dreaming and imagining an ideal life together. Having unplanned talks with them can help foster a sense of where you need to go. And I love the way Nick explained this as well. What I encourage people to do is to try as best you can, especially if you're married, to foster a habit of dreaming together on a regular basis in a natural way. And so my wife and I, you know, we we actually live in a camper together full time and travel. So uh, we have a lot of time together, which allows us to just dream and ask big questions. And last but not least, number five, that pain pushes us to find solutions, which forces us to break habits and develop new routines. 
and it usually is in our favor when it comes to building patience. When we talk about paying off debt, most humans are typically more motivated to avoid pain rather than to gain or increase something like happiness. And there's been studies that have shown that if I were to give you, Ryan, a $100 bill, you'd be happy. You'd have uh, some level of marginal excitement. Rounding out our show, I always like to do a quick community update. Our update in this show is actually going to be about the meetup that we're going to have on July 14th. So if you're in the San Diego area and you feel like hanging out with me and several others from our community, come hang out with us. We're going to be meeting at Draft Republic from 5 to 6.30, and it's the one that's located here in UTC. So I hope all of you could join me if you're in the area. And and we'll also be promoting the meetup um, in the financial residency group all over social media in the next couple of weeks, as well as in the email blasts that are going out. So if you're not subscribed to our email, which is the easiest way to get information about the show, the meetups, and all the other great things that are happening in the community, please do by go to financialresidency.com slash subscribe. Switching over to our new segment, Financial Malpractice. Excited to bring on John Apino from Contract Diagnostics. John, Happy New Year. Excited to have you on. What do you have for us today on the financial horror story, specifically dealing with contract? Financial horror stories. I mean, this one, I think, takes the cake out of all of them that we'll share this year. Every physician knows the word I mean, malpractice insurance or tail insurance. You know, they might know that there's a couple different kinds. They might know if they have it or, you know, if they need to buy it, they assume that it's expensive. And of course it, it can be. Well, we worked with a physician probably a couple of years ago and the story sticks in my mind significantly. So she was in Washington, DC around Baltimore, somewhere in that area. And she was transitioning from that practice down to a practice in Miami. And so we had looked at her Miami contract and, you know, went over everything with her, gave her great questions to ask the group. And then I said, you know, I haven't seen your agreement that you're currently under in Baltimore. So I'm assuming that you know what you need to do with that thing. She says, yeah, John, it was my first job out of training. I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't think that I needed to have it reviewed. I figured it was fine. You know, it was my first job. I really didn't want to invest in that process. I'm like, okay, well, you know, just so you know, I haven't seen it. So I'm assuming a non-compete wouldn't take you out of the position in Miami. You need to know what your termination provisions are. You need to know what happens on termination. If there's any tail insurance you got to purchase or if you have to repay bonuses, if it's a 90-day termination notice or 60 days or 120 days. I said, so make sure you understand that. So she ended up sending it back to us and we put it through one of our packages. When we went over the agreement, you could see very clearly that she had to give them 60 days notice. You could also see very clearly that she had to buy her tail insurance. And she was an OBGYN physician and she was working in Baltimore. And I think she was making $230,000 or so per year. And she was, you know, a year and a half, two years, two and a half years out of training. So, you know, even if she was financially sound, she just, you know, with taxes and everything else, she just didn't have the ability to put together a few hundreds of thousands of dollars of cash savings. And I said, look, just so you know, if and when you terminate, they'll probably ask you to buy your tail insurance. And the group in Miami is going to require that you'll have to prove prior acts. So, you know, a lot of agreements, it says, here's how your tail insurance works for this contract. And then your next contract says you need to have prior acts coming in unless they provide prior acts, which the group in Miami wasn't going to do. So she basically had the tail out of her position in DC. So she calls up the malpractice insurance company there and gets a quote, two and a half years out of free, whatever it was. 
tail insurance for OBGYN, any guess on what the policy quote was? I don't even want to guess because I know it's probably going to be low. It was $186,000. That's horrible. That's a lot of cash no matter where you are in your financial independence process. But let alone, you know, a person living in a high cost of living area that early in a career, it's devastating. And, you know, unlike a 30-year mortgage, they don't have 30-year payment provisions for tail insurance. You know, if you don't make payments on your house, the bank can come take it from you. If there's malpractice insurance tail that's not paid, there's really nothing to take back. So, you know, we told her, call your friends, you know, call a bank, see if you can find a way to borrow the money if you need it. But this is an obligation that you have. We actually sent her to a malpractice broker that we sometimes work with. And I think he was able to shop the policy which some contracts won't allow, you know, a shopping of the policy. It says you have to buy our, or we will buy it for you and charge you. But she was able to shop it around a little bit. I think she got it down to 160 and change. Still a lot of money. That's horrible. That's a hard situation. I mean, that's almost her whole gross year's salary. That should borderline be illegal to have that occur, but obviously it's not for various reasons. That's terrible. And really, I mean, the lesson here is one, get things reviewed, but Realize how expensive this stuff truly is because a lot of you, and we've talked even with our own clients, like, oh yeah, it's probably like, you know, 15, 20,000. Sometimes, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's extremely expensive. So thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate you hearing all the support you've had just for our community and helping out even us with our own physician clients and their contracts. So if anyone here listening needs help with your contracts, uh, we love partnering with John and his company, Contract Diagnostics. You can check them out at financialresidency.com slash contract. All right, everyone. Well, hopefully you enjoyed the show with Nick. Nick is an amazing individual. I love and just am honored to work with him every day at Physician Well Services, really around cash flow planning and helping our clients understand how much money is coming in and how much it's going out and setting up a cash flow plan that works for them. So if you want to learn more about Nick and what he's also doing over at Mapped Out Money with his wife, Hannah, check him out, mappedoutmoney.com. Nick, thanks so much for being on the show. And hopefully you guys learned a lot from the show, at least one thing. That's always the hope that you take away one thing from the show and I can implement it in your finances. So before we end though, quick reminder and special shout out to today's sponsor. And that was Deputy. You want to boost your efficiency across your practice and make staff scheduling easier. Try saying that three times fast. But try Deputy out. It's a great app. And you can try the award-winning technology for free by going to drpodcastnetwork.com slash deputy. That's uh, also in the link of the show you're listening to us in right now. So have a great week, everyone. Look forward to seeing you on Friday. Cheers. This is for entertainment purposes only. Do not take this as investment advice. My dad is only a fiduciary for his clients. Have a great day. Bye.